0: Welcome to episode number 27 of the Better With Brock podcast. I have Sarah Liz King here and we're going to unpack a lot of things today. Uh, I'm really interested in, uh, well, what Sarah was saying is like the recovery side of fitness. Well, not necessarily just recovery, but I guess the more in-depth conversations of fitness that aren't just about losing weight and getting shredded and building muscle. Uh, and, it, and even though that can be super important, I want to dive into, I don't know how to explain it, maybe the warmer side of fitness. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, the more nuanced side. Um, but for people that may not know you, can you give us a quick one-minute elevator pitch of who you are?
1: So, as you said, my name is Sarah Liz King. I am... I mean, everyone just knows me as Sarah, but on social media, (laughs) I'm Sarah Liz King. I'm an exercise physiologist by trade um, and also a health and recovery coach. I work in predominantly like the non-diet space, which just means that I'm really focused on people's health behaviors and not necessarily what the outcomes are attached to those. Mm. Um, And I specialize in... Supporting individuals recovering from eating disorders, disordered eating or different women's health conditions, predominantly one called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is the loss of your menstrual cycle from over exercising, under fueling or too much stress. Mm. So a lot of people know me online as like the period lady <laughs> that kind of always talks about like how important they are. and. Yeah. To be honest, never thought I would be doing that for work, but here we are. Um, so that is me in a nutshell for my work. Outside of that, I live in Bondi, so I love going to the beach. You can see me most of the time walking my tiny little dog, Henry, who's like a cute little furball. Um, what, uh, what breed is Henry? He's a Cavoodle. Yeah, nice. And he's like 18 months old now and just like an absolute character. So... He was a COVID purchase, uh, a rather spontaneous one, but ended up being... I think there was many COVID dog purchases. Literally, my friend was like, I'm getting a dog. And I was like, I wonder if I can get a dog. (laughs) And then like from the Friday to the Monday, I was like, I have a dog. Wow. (laughs) So look, it was a spontaneous decision, but ended up being like a really, really good one. So yeah, outside of that, I just love, you know, being outdoors, being active and seeing my friends. Um, Now that we can kind of like get back to a little bit of normality, I'm also Mm. excited to travel more as well.
0: And with, with, um, with your coaching, are you predominantly dealing with with women is there any men coaching or are you just training females because obviously you know you're dealing with menstrual cycles which is
1: yeah so i see a diverse range of people when i worked in private practice before i went online i actually um used to see both um male and female clients Mm. now when i work online i do mostly work with people that have periods so i have worked with the trans community and i have also Mm. worked with predominantly women but um Anyone that I guess identifies themselves as a woman is mm. the predominant population that I deal with.
0: Yeah. And you started off face to face. Yes. So just like me, I started in a gym in New Zealand. I was in a gym called City Fitness, Yeah. which was just on Queen Street of Auckland, like the busiest place ever, Yeah. the main street. And then I went to Gold Coast and did it there as well. And then I did it here in Sydney at Fitness First. How was that transition to going online? Because it's a journey. And there's no real blueprint to online coaching, like oh, just do this and create a website, and then this is how you get clients, and they just come flocking to you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if how only. did you? Yeah. yeah.
0: Like how did you transition?
1: I fumbled my way through, like we all do. Mm. Um, I so yes, I was working face to face. I'd already kind of like niched down into eating disorders, body image issues, women's health conditions, PCOS, HA, all of those kinds of things, mm. and. I had done a lot of networking with, like, GPs in the area. I'd worked at a couple of hospitals. Like, I tried to do, like, quite a bit of the groundwork. And along the way, I I was building my social media presence. I think the most helpful thing that I did was I started a podcast in 2019. Because, like you, I just wanted a way to kind of talk about things that meant something to me and, Mm. and had an impact on people, beyond kind of the little snippets that they would get of the photo that you would post on Instagram. Because, you know, it wasn't really until like 18 months ago that we were posting reels and videos and things. It was like, here's a beautiful photo.
0: Yeah, Instagram was Uh, uh, was like pushing photos. It was, yeah, yeah, that's what it was created for. Like, oh, look at this photo. And then you start posting a photo and no one, all of a sudden no one cared. Nobody cares. I was like, oh, that Mm. was interesting. Like Uh. these transformation photos used to do really well. Like people were inspired from transformation photos. And then you'd post the same thing and you'd get like a hundred likes. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And then, yeah, they started pushing reels.
1: So, uh, during that time, um, at the end of 2019, I was actually working for another coach who had an online business. Uh, And I was kind of like doing that on the side, wasn't really talking about it too much. But um, that kind of gave me a lot of insight into what it was like to coach online. And obviously, I'd done lots of coaching face-to-face and because of the population I I worked with and I dealt with I wasn't just kind of going like here's your program (laughs) there was a lot of stuff around behavioral change and obstacles and you know all of the things that inherently come with you know long-term success and helping someone build kind of like healthy habits which is your mindset so Mm. that is like I would say 75% of, you know, the work that I do now is really helping people step out of their own way a lot of the time and giving them the strategies to be able to do that. So mm. when I went online fully, my parents were like, you're crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And I was like, just give it six months. And then COVID hit and I was like, cool. I have no other choice. Yeah. Um, so I really just took one strategy and ran with it. I was like, I'm going to build my email list. I'm going to sell one thing. (laughs) I'm going to see how it goes. And I'm going to be more like niched in my podcast content. And Mm -hmm. I did all three things. And within a few months, people were like, Oh, like this really resonates with me. And I started to get more and more clients to the point that I was like fully booked. And then I was like, cool. Now I'm going to have to start a group coaching program because Mm -hmm. there's only one of me. And there's so many other people to help. And that's when I created my first program targeted for hypothalamic amenorrhea recovery. Not sexy, but help, helping people get their mm. periods back. But super it, important. But it's
0: super sexy to the people that struggle with it. Like from the super outside. Super sexy, yeah. You just go, oh, okay, that's that's never going to be me. But if that yeah. is you and I know people that fall into that category. 100%. That's what, th- that, they'll do anything to, and to I get I back.
1: The biggest thing for me was like, I wish, and, and I went through that whole thing myself. I didn't have a menstrual cycle for 10 years and I was like, I wish I had had this Mm. to, uh, and I'm probably too much of a perfectionist to the depth that I provide (laughs) within that course. So that course has been running, we're on round nine now. So it's been huge success. Like it's so wonderful, like seeing the babies that get born as a result of this. And I was like, that's wild. Like (laughs) I helped that obviously, like I helped the (laughs) beginning stages of that, but you know, getting those photos and, Getting the messages from all of the families and the women, it's just like, you know, it lights me up. And I think as much as there are struggles and so many things to consider when you run an online business, I I wouldn't change it for the world now.
0: Mm. So what made you dive into this niche? You said that you had 10 years without your menstrual cycle. Was that the primary driver? Was there other things that drove you into going, okay, I'm just like, I just want to help these people.
1: Look, I had uh, a lived experience of both an eating disorder and hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, And I actually never thought that I would make it my full career. I thought to myself, I'd love to give back in some way.
2: Mm.
1: And then when I started in private practice, I was like, well, the hospital that I did like an outpatient program in, which helped me, probably that was the turning point in recovering from my eating disorder. I was like, they don't do anything movement wise with their eating disorder unit. Like they might go for a walk, but they never really get any feedback on like, what's okay. What's not okay. How do I transition back to like moving in a healthy way once I leave hospital? Um, And so I was like, I'll do it. I'll be the person. And um, I was really lucky that the head of admissions kind of for, eating disorders, she was the head of admissions for the program that I did. So she already knew me. Mm. And I think they just kind of was, they just gave me a shot (laughs) and I was so grateful for it. And so I worked there a couple of days a week and then I just found it so fulfilling. And at the time, then I got contacted by someone who was looking to, well, that's right. I did a webinar by a girl who was like eating disorders and exercise. And it was through ESSA, which is Exercise and Sports Science Australia, which is like the governing body for ex-phys, mm-hmm. exercise physiologists. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And I like contacted her afterwards and I was like, that was really helpful. Like I work with this population. And then we ended up doing um, a research project together and started the development of something that is now fully fledged called safe exercise at every stage, which is basically guidelines to help health professionals working with those struggling with eating disorders or in a process of recovery from an eating disorder Mm. know what is like a safe level for them to exercise at and how they can progress over time. So that really kind of drew me into the space. Um, Mm. And then from there I was like, well, I wonder if I just share my story, what will happen? And that's why I started the the podcast and that opened my eyes far beyond what I had ever imagined where, you know, you would get emails and messages saying I struggle with the same thing and hearing your story was so validating and so helpful. Um, or I love the podcasts that you do. They're so informative and they're so practical. Mm. And I was like, cool, like this is not what I expected to do when I left university, but also is the thing that gives me so much more passion rather than just teaching people how to do a squat, which is fine. I love that. But like at the end of the day, I think I, I knew that I was like, it's, it's more than just what kind of exercise you're doing. Or mm. how much it's, why are you exercising? Yeah. What do you think this is? What what's purpose is this serving in your life? And is it for healthy intentions? Or is it because you, you don't feel good enough? Or you're nervous about what will happen if you don't exercise? Mm. And I found that side, the psychological side, so much more interesting. Which is why I was like, cool. Well, I'm going to do more professional development and become a coach. Um, I'm looking into going back to university to formalize all of the qualifications around um, being more of a therapist. But that is a long road. So here we are helping people in the best way possible, which is through the podcast and through coaching. But yeah, that's kind of how I ended up being where I am today. And I love it.
0: So where do you start people with? eating disorders when they are exercising because I do find that very fascinating because often you can't just say, all right, here's your program and just start smashing it because that works for some people, but I think you have to be at a certain level or have a certain mindset or be at a certain place to just be able to focus on this thing. Sometimes you can't just go straight there. And I'm not saying that it's ahead of anyone that is dealing with eating disorders like they're held back, but they, they often... Can't just jump straight into that. There's other things that they need to deal with. You know, like you said, why are they training? What's it going to do for them? Yeah. You know, how are they approaching it? And if they do do it, is it great? If they don't, what happens then? So I know people can kind of be at different levels of an eating disorder. Some people can be here. Some people can be there. But what are those levels that you kind of created that program, you know, exercising at every level? What kind of steps are there?
1: So it's, it's really... This is going to be a, a very long answer.
0: <laughs> I'm ready.
1: But we'll break it down. Yeah. So obviously eating disorders and disordered eating, like you said, there's no one type. Mm. There's no one, like you couldn't look at a person and be like, they're struggling with their relationship with food and exercise in their body. You can't know. Obviously we have multiple different behaviors and diagnoses and it doesn't really matter what the diagnosis is or whether people are formally diagnosed or they just know that they are spending way too much time energy and too much of their headspace is overly focused on their body Mm. and as a result of that the way they eat and the way they move and all of those kinds of things and you can also have people that relate to exercise in, in different ways so obviously on one side of this spectrum there is Complete over reliance on exercise, so this kind of like addictive mentality, um, which actually does exist. There's like primary and secondary exercise addiction, and we often see this like secondary exercise addiction.
0: And but what's the difference between the two? Sorry.
1: So primary exercise addiction is basically that you over reliance on exercise, but it's not related to any other mental health condition. Secondary exercise addiction is exercise is used as a way to kind of cope mentally and usually coexist with another mental health condition, like mm. eating disorders, anxiety, depression, all of that kind of thing. Um, we know it's addictive as well because there is this presence of basically withdrawal symptoms. So if you think of any kind of addiction, the initial intake of a certain amount gives us a certain outcome that often makes us feel better or gives us relief of some kind. But then if we don't do it, we feel this withdrawal and this urge to kind of go and seek it to get those positive outcomes. Um, So that's one element of why we know it's addictive. And there's also a second element, which is you often need more and more and more of the substance or of the exercise to elicit the same result. So initially you might have done a smaller amount of exercise and it made you feel amazing. But then over time, that same amount doesn't give you the same effect. So you seek more or you need to have it more intense in order for it to kind of elicit that outcome that you're seeking. Now that can be inherently problematic, not just from like a physical recovery point of view, but also it can overtake things like, your social life, your work commitments, family, all of those kinds of things mm. because your brain and body are kind of fixated on seeking that, that result and that outcome. So that is is one side of things. And then on the other side of things, we have people that fall into complete exercise avoidance. Maybe they're ashamed of their body or maybe they've had really negative experiences where they just don't want to think about Movement at all. And people often sit in either camp when it comes to eating disorders and disordered eating. And they they can often kind of sit in between that as well. Mm. And the whole point of this experience of, of coaching and kind of helping people develop a healthy relationship with food is to help either side of that spectrum meet in the middle ground and go exercise should be part of your life because you know, it does have really positive health benefits and there are probably things that you inherently want to do in your life that require movement Mm. and that movement feels easier if we have it in a structured, enjoyable way where there's rest involved and you're kind of doing it in a really smart way and your intentions behind it are helpful and positive instead of detrimental. So there's no elements of, of trying to punish yourself or it's from a place of guilt or shame or those kinds of things. So helping people from either side of the spectrum get to the messy middle ground is a messy process. <laughs> um, oftentimes for people that have that over-reliance on exercise, it's really challenging them to kind of change things up right? Do things a little bit differently, whether that be reducing down or changing up the kinds of exercise that they're doing. And the whole point of this isn't to tell them that exercise is bad and that they should never do it again, but it's mm. to really adjust the unrealistic expectations that they might have about how much they should be doing and to also provide some of the tools that they can support themselves with um, during that process because exercise has served a purpose for them. Mm. They didn't just like magically wake up one day and were like, well, I'm going to exercise for five plus hours because that's, you know, amazing. There was some reason why that developed into their lives. And so we have to kind of go, okay, well, if we are changing that element, we don't want to leave you with absolutely no coping strategies. We want to make sure that when you start to change up your exercise and you are feeling, you know, a little bit anxious, a little bit (laughs) overwhelmed, you have other ways to deal with that that aren't going to the gym or going for a run or something else related to to movement. Mm. Then on the flip side of things, if you've been at a stage where you've completely avoided a moving your body, maybe you've really just dissociated. So you're kind of numbed out from your physical being. You're like, I don't want to think about my body. I don't want to think about movement. It's super uncomfortable. I hate the whole like, maybe they actually hate the whole like weight loss rhetoric or like, I don't want to really exercise to change my body. Like I just want to go to the gym and I want to feel like I can be there and it's a safe space, but I don't feel like that right now. And you're like, great. So for them, it's that slow exposure to what movement can be and how it can be really enjoyable and really positive. and oftentimes. Both sides of the spectrum have this really intense critical voice. I should, I must, I have to. And that can be so hard to break away from, which is why the antidote that helps us get to that messy middle ground is self-compassion, that we try our best, we try different things and throughout that process of exposing yourself to movement that you might have avoided before or kind of slowing down and changing what you might've done. That was too much from before that critical voice gets strong and it tells you that you're doing quote unquote the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. But probably your values sit somewhere in, I want a life where there's movement and it's fun and it's enjoyable and it makes me feel good and it benefits my health, but I don't want, The voice inside my head to be screaming at me, telling me that I should or I must do more or I'm a bad person if I missed my workout or didn't push as strong as I did before. And that's where we have to kind of really challenge those critical voices and go, okay, there's a different way you can actually speak to yourself with kindness. If a workout didn't go perfectly the way that you wanted to, you can regroup and realize you're going to be moving, exercise, working out, doing something like that throughout your entire life. It's not gonna matter in five years time, whether you didn't do all 10 exercises in your program Mm. because you were absolutely exhausted. So you did four and you left the gym, right? It's not gonna matter, Mm. but helping people zoom out and recognize that is often life-changing for them and is what helps people adopt those long-term helpful habits Mm. that we know won't lead to them kind of like yo-yoing through periods of like eight-week fitness challenges and then dropping off the face of the earth because yeah we don't want that.
0: Yeah, I, I personally fell into one of those traps. So initially when I was younger, when I first started, I had no idea about calories, nutrition, training frequency or anything. I was just 14 years old rugby guy from Christchurch New Zealand you know so I went to a high school where heaps of all blacks came out of so it was like yes yeah. let's, let's yeah. do it so I just used to lift really heavy weights and I really enjoyed it and then I got to this point where I was I couldn't not train twice a day and then I got to a point where I couldn't not eat the exact amount of calories and macros that I set and I was just getting more and more obsessed like it started fun I was playing sport and I think sport was a good way of actually giving it some purpose. Yeah, Like it was performance based workouts, but then I stopped doing that and I was just personal training. And I told you before I was singing and stuff and that's even more superficial. So Mm. I was like, okay, I need to look like this. So I got really obsessed with having to train twice a day, eating a certain amount of calories, being a certain size and ticking this off. But I learned the hard way in terms of exercise, how to pull that back by getting injured. Yeah. So I did exactly what you said and this is why I thought of it. I had this program that I wrote myself and and it was was 12 workouts a week. So twice a day, Monday to Friday, once on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And I would do a big session in the morning and then in the afternoon I would do a smaller one like arms or abs or whatever. But I had to do two because it was like this mindset thing. I had to do two. My friend was doing two as well so I was like – I'm doing two as well. So, s- s- sorry, let me finish. And then I had a leg day and I had five sets of squats. I did four. And I was like, I couldn't leave the gym. It was 8 o'clock, 8 or 9 p.m. I'd just been personal training from 6 a.m. till, till 8 o'clock. You know, some breaks in between, but it was a big day. About 10 to 12 sessions. And I was exhausted. I was underslept and I was like, I have to do this extra set of squats before I leave to tick that box and say that I finished my program for the day I went in I warmed up and I'm like I just I was squatting 120 which wasn't quite heavy for me at the time but I just and then I just I couldn't stand up after the squat I had to like if I took a bigger step like a normal step it would hurt my lower back so I had to take like little penguin steps and just kind of waddle all the way down to the bottom of the gym and then I caught an uber home and I had to lie in the back because I couldn't sit up it was really bad. And then the next day I couldn't stand up, ambulance came to my house, all this type of thing. So I learned the hard way. And then from then I was like, Maybe I'm overtraining and undersleeping and not eating enough and all this kind of stuff. But I'd love to to know how you've fast tracked people. Not that there's a shortcut to this or there's a quick fix, but I think there's definitely better ways than slipping a disc.
1: There is a lot <laughs> of better ways. And look, I'm curious to know before I obviously dive into Yeah a little bit of i guess fast tracking that process mm. when you're in that that phase like of of your life and you know you're so hyper focused on like i'm doing this mm. because obviously like i think a lot of people that are like really high achievers when they're like if i want something i'm just going to go for it and that like pursuit of something can be so strong was there ever a point where you like i'm actually not feeling great
0: I would quiet those thoughts with, I just have to do it. Yeah. So just like you were saying, I was hyper, you know, focused on doing things, and I would make myself such an unrealistic schedule. Yeah. But I would stick to it because it was determination, it was discipline, it was all that kind of self-help motivation stuff, which I thrived on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was
1: like, yeah. All the toxic fitness slogans.
0: <laughs> I was like, let's go! Like I was, uh, uh, I was just doing it. But I would wake up. I had really bad habits. Like looking back at it now, it was absolutely horrific. And and I'm grateful for online coaching because it's allowed me to pull my life back into into a realistic place that I can actually last a lifetime. Because I look at what I was doing. I was sleeping four to six hours. I was all about the grind. I'd drink a whole plunger of coffee in the morning when I woke up straight away. I would (laughs) let it brew overnight and wake up at like 4.45, slam the whole thing, which is terrible, and then walk into the gym. And then like start training clients, train twice a day and do all this kind of stuff. So th- there were definitely days where I didn't feel good. And my clients would even say, you look really tired. And I'd get, <laughs> I'd get offended. That's a red flag. <laughs> yeah. Like your client that you're trying to help us saying, you don't look too good yeah. today. And I was like, I you're feel, meant to
1: be the beacon of health. <laughs> I'm like, I you feel look like <laughs> you should take a nap.
0: <laughs> but most personal trainers fall into that category. Yeah, they do. B- because that's the way that you earn money is by being on the gym floor and training people. And unfortunately... You just have to do that for a long time. Then you reach this point where you're full, and then you're confused what to do. Like, do I h- take on other coaches to bring more, yeah, yeah more cash flow in? Yeah, cash flow. Do I go online? Do I charge more, or do I just work more hours? Which is what we often yeah. did as personal trainers. Like, it was cool for me to to work to say that I worked from six a.m. to nine p.m. Monday to Friday. I was like, I feel good because it feels like I was doing things, yeah. but I definitely didn't feel good every day.
1: No. And I would say prior to you getting that injury, one of the phrases that I really love to tell people because often I have people that come and they're like, I have this massive injury now that it has been the absolute eye opener for me that I have to change something because my body is telling me things are bad. So this phrase is your body always whispers before it yells at you. There's usually clues that lead up to, you know, you hurting your back feeling really exhausted, working really long hours, not getting enough sleep, all of those kinds of things where, you know, training really intensely, not having those periods of time where you actually rest, recharge, let your body get maximal benefits from the work that you just put it through. All we see is what we see on social media now. People doing really heavy lifts and being really like, quote unquote, dedicated in mm. the gym. But there is a fine line between dedicated and disordered and we can't see it from the outside. It's something that is inherently within us and only we know that, right? Only we can feel that exhaustion at the end of the day. Only we can feel that kind of lackluster mentality when our next training session mm. comes up. Those are the clues that you would get, but you have to ask you know, really deep and meaningful questions to people about it. So how do you fast track someone and help them avoid an injury and falling into this kind of like spiral that, you know, I fell into as well. And the thing is often we're not, we can't really pull people out of the river before they fall in. Mm. Sometimes as much as you want to help someone, it's only until they want to make the change that they can actually start making it. Because it's all very well and good for you to be like, but don't you see like what you're doing to yourself isn't actually helping you reach your goals or become healthier? Like if a person is, you know, like you, so focused, they've got their blinders on, Mm. like they're not going to listen. I would
0: never have listened at that time.
1: No, it's really unfortunate that we have to sometimes get to that rock bottom place in Mm. order to pick ourselves back up. And so what I would say for anyone out there, listen to those little whispers that you know your body is telling you. It is innately so wise when it's telling you, hey, I'm tired. That's not just for fun. Mm. Really like full body fatigue is your body saying rest more. You are overreaching. Mm. You are pushing through and past what your body's available resources are. And there are a lot of people... That are like, but I'm like, I felt the best I've ever felt, and you know, I'm performing the best I've ever felt. And they might actually still be in that state of overreaching or overtraining and underfueling. And to that I say, sure, but for how long? Cause there will always be a point where something happens, whether that be they physically get injured, they mentally burn out, their performance actually takes a step back.
2: Mm.
1: We're in this for the long run. <laughs> even if you're an athlete, right? Your mm. your as an athlete, your body is your tool, right? And and pushing it to the nth degree isn't what is going to get you the best outcome. Also isn't going to sustain you if you want to be within your chosen sport for a, a relatively long period of time. Mm. So there is no fast track as the the yeah. long and the short answer. It really is about going, okay, like Sometimes a person has to get to their, their quote-unquote rock bottom in mm. order to open their eyes and go, oh my God, this is actually worse than I thought and I, I really need to change. And so many people sit in that kind of like low energy availability, overtraining state without even yeah. knowing it because it's what society normalizes.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. I was, I was going to say it also depends on your environment because yeah. when you're surrounded by personal trainers, that's glorified
1: so much so. You're
0: training hard, you're working hard, you're eating clean, personal trainers and and this is just from me sitting in like the personal trainer room when you're not with clients, you come in and you'll be like, "Man, he's training really hard, he's doing really... and people say, "Man, you're looking really good." You you know, and and they're supporting that fact. So then you're like, "Oh, well, I better keep doing this to keep it up." But I had those whispers in my head for sure and physically it was kind of a joke around me and my friends because my my lower back was always sore. Yeah. And that was what eventually gave way. But it was like a joke because people would be like, oh, what are you training today? And and I'd be like this. <laughs> I'd see if my lower <laughs> back was sore. I'd like bend over and kind of flex my spine and be like, oh, I'm going to do arms. You know? Or like, <laughs> yeah. Because like I was so beat up and I was yeah. so sore. And that was l- literally the whispers to my body saying, hey. Or from my body to me saying, hey, mate, I think you should rest. Because on the weekends, I used to sleep. I remember sleeping like 12 to 13 hours but just because I was so smashed.
1: Yeah. Well, you've created this massive energy debt throughout the entire week, right? And your body is like, okay, well, if you're not going to listen to me Monday to Friday, I will force you to listen to me on Saturday and Sunday.
2: Mm.
1: And (laughs) I think that's what we want to avoid. And you're 100% right when you're in that environment, it can be incredibly toxic. Mm. And it's also really hard to go against the status quo. Mm. I think, you know, lots of different industries have positive and negative aspects to them. I think the most unhelpful one in the personal training world is that your body is your business card, which Mm. is the furthest thing from the truth.
0: But that's also quite challenging... For people, and I understand this now, but it's quite challenging for personal trainers when clients say, I want to look like you. Yeah. And that's how you got business because then you go, oh, it kind of is.
1: That 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 I think that is one of the biggest assumptions though mm. because like you could give mm. three of your clients the exact same nutrition plan and food plan, sorry, the nutrition and food plan and exercise plan that you did and... Th- all three of them would have different outcomes Mm. because we have so much that is, you know, genetically set and so many other factors that influence us. But, you know, we've been told that like, oh, it's just, you know, calories in versus calories out. Hard work. And while those equations kind of are true the hundreds of factors that affect calories in are also present and the hundreds mm. of aspects that affect calories out are also present. So while it's a quote-unquote simple equation, it's actually not that simple.
0: Very complicated. Yeah, yeah. I, get, I get slammed a bit because I'm very calories in versus calories out too, but I understand that they're dynamic. It's not just a equation that you put in like, oh, I ate 2,500, I burnt 2,700, my deficit is 200, I lose weight. It's not like that. Yeah,
1: and our bodies also aren't robots.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, for example, when people use my calorie calculator, they're like, oh, you know, this didn't work or that, you know, it was too much or it was too little. It's just the best guess. Like that's the kind of, you know, there's no perfect. You just eat that and you will get shredded and look huge. Like if you do that and 1500 calories, that might be true because you're not eating enough. But but it's, yeah, we're not Because we also
1: have to think about like, yes food can be an avenue for us to reach our goals mm. in all aspects whether that is that you want to change your body composition or you're looking to recover from an eating disorder or restore your periods like there is that science behind the fact that your body will need a different amount of energy to achieve different goals that you have for yourself but i think within the pursuit of those goals it's also an incredibly important that we think about food and other aspects that Mm. food is also enjoyment. It's emotional. Yeah, it's emotional. We use it to celebrate it's around when we're sad and none of that is inherently bad. And I think sometimes what can happen is people get so obsessed with the numbers that they forget that they're actually still meant to live their life and Mm. enjoy being social and going out and, not having quote unquote perfect meals because actually that serves a purpose too. That should be part of what you value in life. And if it's become disconnected because you're so worried about what will happen if you don't eat in a particular way, then that is definitely a red flag that, you know, it's okay to have like flexibility and inclusion as you move towards whatever goal you have for yourself.
0: Mm. So on that like you're talking about goals, but previously you kind of mentioned that you coach people without specific outcomes as well, or maybe potentially trying to pull them away from certain people because they aren't the healthiest. If you aren't coaching someone without, sorry, if you aren't coaching someone with an outcome, what are you coaching towards? Because I feel like there always has to kind of be some goal of mine, not that it has to be a specific body fat or, you know, be a specific size or feel awesome when you eat, like, I'm just genuinely curious because as a coach, as a personal trainer, body transformation coach, there's always a goal, right? It's it's mainly physique based. And there's other stuff that we, we talk about along the way, especially with the personalized coaching where, you know, we dive into deep things that happen in their life and things that we need to go through, the kind of nuances that we're talking about today. But what do you work on or work towards then if there's no specific outcome?
1: So I think, There's a lot of nuance in goal setting. We definitely still, you know, prioritize those goals. But if someone, for example, is saying to us, like, I want a better relationship with food and my body. Cool. That's a great goal to have. Um, And that is the outcome. Mm. The next step is kind of going, well, we have no idea how long that's going to take to get there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it's something that we definitely want for you and it's definitely something that we're willing, uh, uh, qualified to work with you on. Why is that important to you? That's the next step. Why do I want this? From there, you can really identify what people's values are. They're like, I want to be more connected with the people that I love and I know that my relationship with food is preventing me from engaging in dinners out and saying yes to the morning teas that I brought in To the office, and my body image is preventing me from going on holiday or playing with my kids or something like that. So, that kind of element of connection, okay, it's important to you because you value being there with the people that you love. Um, It gives you an element of freedom that you feel like you don't have right now. And you can live to those values every day while also still working towards that, that outcome goal, which then comes up with these process goals, right? So what are the daily habits that you're focusing on, which over, over time will then lead to the outcome that you want. Mm. So I think there's, these, there's always kind of like a road that we're all walking down towards some finish line. I think the interesting thing is once you reach the finish line, what do you do then? And I think particularly within my work, the kinds of habits that we're getting people to build, there actually is no end. The things that you are doing to help you get to what you perceive as the end goal are actually the things that you have to sustain throughout your entire life to keep feeling relaxed and free and connected to the people that you love, to have better body image, all those things. Mm. But I think when someone's in pain and they just want to fix it is helpful to set a goal because we know what road we're walking down Mm. together, but it really comes down to the fact that the road is hard and there will be many obstacles along the way for that person. So we have to really understand what value is it that really lies underneath that goal. Why is it important to them? Because they're going to want to give up and It's a lot of practice. Those process goals are probably more important than the outcome goals. Those daily habits, those daily routines and new behaviors that you're helping people wire into their brain through repetition. Mm. Those are actually the most important things to work on because yes, eventually they'll help that person reach their goal, but actually they'll help a person stay with that goal throughout their entire
0: lives. And what are some of those things that you encourage people to adopt, the habits that help them have a good relationship with food?
1: So I think one of the biggest things is removing the morality that we have around food. So seeing food as good versus bad. Mm. You know, from the moment we were born, we never saw chocolate and apples as different. Uh, That doesn't mean to say that they are not nutritionally different. They are. Mm. But labeling one as good versus another one as bad means that when we eat those foods, we often give ourselves those same labels. And that can be problematic because then we start to feel guilt and shame and disappointment when we, quote unquote, eat the bad food. Yeah. So seeing all foods as equal and that they can all fit within your diet, which just means the way that you eat, Mm. is the biggest first step. I think... With exercise, um, if someone wants to really like have like a healthy relationship with exercise, I think the element of, of rest often gets overlooked.
0: Yeah, it's kind of seen as soft. Like, yeah. oh, you're resting. Like, don't be a, you know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but like obviously, I studied exercise physiology. Mm like telling someone this is the reason why we rest, not just between <laughs> days and sessions, but within a session mm. is to actually help you facilitate the best adaptation. Yeah. If we don't do that, you're going to get half the results that you could have gotten hundred percent of the results from. So not overlooking rest is a really helpful thing.
0: Mm. Um. Uh, sorry to jump in. Even uh, recently I have a, A female client based in the states and she she actually won so i i do an eight week challenge right yeah um and she and and the goal sorry the prize was she got to work with me as a one-to-one coach so out of the challenge where i just write certain programs for people nutrition for certain groups of people Mm -hmm. and then they have so i do try to encourage the sustainable habits as well. Not just the eight week get shredded and then see ya. Um, so there's like over six hours of educational videos that they get access to so they can understand, you know, heaps of different things, metabolic adaptations, neat levels, calories in, la 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 la. Um, so I try not to just spit them out because as as you referred to, that's what a lot of eight week challenges are. Just like, yep, I'll take your money, you lose weight and then you regain it later when yeah. you're not a client of mine. So it's not my fault. Um, so I try and encourage that sustainability of habits. Um, but anyway, so she won and the prize was to work with me one-to-one. I wrote her a program and she, and she was like, I want to get stronger. I want to get better at chin-ups. Yeah. I love that goal, by the way. Yeah, it's such a good so goal. So many
1: people come to me like, I just want to do a chin-up. I don't know what is it about chin-ups. Like it's everyone's chi- like, this is the <laughs> ultimate marker of strength
0: it just feels good it does i think there's something i don't know it, it feels quite primal like you're <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't know like pulling yourself up over a ledge or and i think especially for it.
1: women who inherently like we're like not as strong in our upper body we're like yeah if i can ace that i've just like ticked this massive box
0: it's such an achievement yeah and she wanted to get stronger at that so i wrote her a program and she was getting down to six reps four reps two reps like really trying to encourage that kind of short rep range for strength and she and then she had these rest periods <laughs> that were like long two and a half three minutes and she's like i was like oh how's it going she's like oh yeah so what i've been doing because she's a busy mum, short on time she's like i've been putting them all into a circuit and then <laughs> so, so she's doing like pull up squats dumbbell overhead press lunges <laughs> and then taking like a minute rest and then just going again just and, and look
1: <laughs> we laugh but that's because like We're laughing with you. We we know how much people want these these goals. Mm. And sometimes they don't even realize like sometimes the practice of them pursuing it can actually sabotage what they want.
0: Yeah. And she's like, I just want to get it done because then, you know, I have time for my kids and stuff like that. Well, I was like, well, you got to tell me because then I can make the program shorter. But like you need to recover this energy system with more rest. And I think people just don't understand it. Yeah. And they just want to kind of hop around the gym because if they're sweating, they feel more productive. But often when you want to get stronger, which is a big goal for a lot of people, like I want to be strong. That's not doing a big circuit and then just like keep doing that five times and then you leave and you're sweaty and all that kind of stuff. Like you're never going to overload those weights because you don't have enough time to rest and actually be strong. Yeah.
1: And I think sometimes the best strength programs that actually get you the best results are usually really boring. So boring. So (laughs) boring. They require so much rest and so much patience and so much consistency and having that real long-term vision that, yeah, you'll get that pull-up. But if you don't give, like you said, those energy systems the time to rest, you're not going to get the outcome that you want. Mm. You'll just, you can, like any workout can make you tired. Any workout can make you sweat. Mm. Not every single workout is going to be programmed in a way that will actually get you meaningful outcomes. Mm.
0: But it's that lack of knowledge that people don't actually know that that's what it takes. And and this kind of takes me back to social media, which is like what we're talking about before that we actually started recording was like people want to hear it, but then they don't want to hear it at the same time because we're having this nuanced conversation, which is going to explain rest and and so people can understand. But people are like, oh, I see that person is strong and I just want to do that, so I'm just going to keep doing heaps of that. And there's no talk of rest. There's no talk of programming. There's no talk that getting a chin up might be a 12-month goal. It's it's not going to happen in four weeks, unfortunately, for most people.
1: No. And I love that you say that because it normally is a 12-month goal.
0: Yeah. Like, it takes time. Like, I've coached a lot of people through this stuff and, you know, all over the world, all different types of skill levels, even advanced people. Um, you know, trying to get weighted chin ups. It's, it, it's kind of the same goal, ultimately, a strength based goal. But it takes so much time and takes so much. Like I saw a quote the other day that's really good. Is, strength is a skill. Yeah. It's, it's something that's learned. It's something that's practiced, something that's rested for so that you feel good to do it it's not something that's just like oh i'm strong now it's so like you have to learn that you have to yeah. sit in those rest periods like man i feel like i should be moving but i <laughs> yeah like, i got i got 2 minutes left
1: and we often see clients who might have had like a very warped relationship with exercise previously and our online training program is called better balance training and the reason that we gave it that name is like we're going to have a better balance of things work and rest hmm. we're going to tell you exactly why we're you know prior like programming your week the way that we are. And just because you can and have been doing like X number of runs a week combined with like X number of like strength sessions, if you tell us that your goals are this, it means that, you know, you and I are the professionals. Mm. And we are actually, we're not doing things to kind of... uh, (laughs) Slow you down. (laughs) Slow you down or like sabotage your goals. We're actually... Sometimes doing what you should have been doing all along, which is taking smaller, more progressive steps, Mm. which will help you avoid injury, help you avoid illness, help you avoid burning out. You might actually enjoy the process Mm. along the way, which is what you should be doing
0: as well. It's so crazy that they often question your programming too, because...
1: Yeah, because, like, right. you're not a professional <laughs> or something. You, d- did you really study this?
0: But you're like, okay, you've, like, you're literally paying me to do this and then you're questioning it. And I get it, you know, like they could just have their, have their things that they believe, but I think, you know, what I said before, there's this, like, knowledge gap of, like, what people want to achieve and what to actually do to get there. Yeah. And that's why people fall for, you know, doing those crazy workouts where they're sweating. And it's often, it's not always, but it's quite often females that have this, have this kind of mindset of like, I just need to run around and yeah. I just need to do heaps in a short amount of time and get out. And that can often be because they don't feel comfortable in a gym sometimes. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have, you know, gym anxiety and stuff like that and they don't want to be there. So they just want to do heaps and then get out because it's like, oh, I survived. <laughs> I made it. yeah. But often there's all this, you know, and there's other things in their head that could just be, you know, like like rest isn't needed. I just need to push hard, you know, that whole mindset. There's, yeah. there's so many factors, but it's a... Uh, like I think it's a big problem like people and people spend so much time in the gym like they literally they literally dedicate somewhere between I don't know four to seven hours potentially right in the gym or even if it's three hours yeah that's a lot of time in your life so much. And you want to like make the most of that. And they're so fixated and they follow people on Instagram to get motivation and workouts and all this kind of stuff. And then they just go to the gym and like do all these wrong things. It just blows my mind. But I was in this position as well. So I, uh, I'm not saying that I'm better than these people. Mm-hmm. I did that for for years. Yeah, actually. My whole high school since I was 14 to 18 was probably that.
1: And look, I did the same. You know, yeah. I think you have to learn some ways because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And until you reach a point where you're actually like, oh, now my education has increased. Now I'm wiser. Mm. The question is, am I actually going to implement this or am I going to stay ignorant? Because like there is that. And I definitely did that. I I started to learn things, but I was like, nah, it feels better to like do more. Yeah. So it took me a while to kind of get to that point. And now I explain to people that we always start with the minimum effective dose. Mm. Just because you can do more doesn't mean that you necessarily should. And we're always testing and retesting things for your body to tell us where it's at because you're not going to wake up and feel the exact same every single day, specifically females, specifically if you have a menstrual cycle Mm. that affects your energy levels throughout the month. That affects how strong you feel throughout the month. All of those kinds of things have to be factored in. So sure. You can go and do more and social media is the place where you will hands down get that kind of messaging that mm. you need to push as hard as you can or- And I think it also paints this picture and, and social media is super aspirational, right? It presents this mm. ideal of if you have this kind of life, which is often the kind of life that the p- person selling the program lives, then your life will look like that. You Mm. will be inherently more happy, inherently more likable. All of these things, which is just... um, It's hugely false because Mm. even those people that look like they have the most glamorous life, they still have to take out the trash. There are still days that they probably cry and feel crappy about themselves. Mm. They still probably have you know, worries around finances and all of these things that a normal human being experiences, but we're placing them on a pedestal Mm. because society has gone, that is the image of success or that is the image of quote-unquote health and fitness, Mm. which I think is a really tricky trap that we fall into because we can't tell much about a person's life purely by the way that they look.
0: Mm. Or by what they post. Or
1: by what they post. Or it's 1% of post, their life, exactly.
0: So with, so with training in, throughout the menstrual cycle, obviously people vary. Some people feel no difference and just train the same. Yeah. Some people are heavily impacted. Like there's some people that I work with where we program maintenance phases of nutrition because the, the hunger cravings are crazy. And they're like, I'm not – like if their goal is weight loss, let's say. We're like, for every week that this happens, we're going to maintenance and we're just hanging out. So there's people that have different needs throughout their menstrual cycle. Do you have any basic protocols that you encourage people or do you have any advice for people? Because it is tricky and often people just like, oh, like they don't understand that every week – like every third week of their menstrual cycle or every something week, they feel weak because they don't track it. Yeah, I know that tracking, it's very important. So, yeah, do you have any advice or basic protocols that people could... So much advice. Could try. (laughs) So much
1: advice. So the first thing is like what we know research-wise around exercise in the menstrual cycle is still in its infancy. Yeah. So... A lot of times when you see on social media people promote, like, train to your cycle and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, Know that a lot of what they say isn't kind of like what we would say evidence-based yet. Mm. It's like our best guess from the limited amount of research that we do have. Mm.
0: Because often in research they, they avoid using females because of the anomaly. Yeah, so they use men because well every day we're pretty much every day is the same.
1: (laughs) Twenty four hours your hormones reset to be a man. Um, (laughs) yeah, so obviously the menstrual cycle goes anywhere from twenty eight to thirty five days. There's two main parts of your cycle. So the first part of your cycle is called the follicular phase. So that is from day one of your period. So when you first start your period up until when you ovulate around day fourteen, if we're talking about roughly a twenty eight day cycle. Uh, And then after ovulation, you hit something called the the luteal phase. Now the luteal phase is after ovulation to when you start your next menstrual period. During your follicular phase, obviously we've got the hormones, estrogen being the predominant hormone and a tiny little bit of progesterone. uh, And estrogen is really helpful for protein synthesis. So um, obviously when you start your period, your hormones are at their lowest. So physiologically, we're most like men at that stage, Um, but some people feel terrible on their periods Mm. and they experience a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort. And if that is you listen to your body, sometimes movement can actually be really, really beneficial Mm. to helping with the cramps and helping with a bit of the discomfort, but you really need to be guided by how you feel. Mm. So that is my number one piece of advice, be guided by how you feel as your number one. Um, The second thing is to be aware that sometimes little things can change that you might not even kind of clue into being related to your hormones. So we know for instance that, you know, around ovulation people are typically their strongest, but they can also be more uncoordinated. (laughs) Um, not a good combo so like there's one study that's associated like an increased risk of like acl injuries for women around that ovulatory period but again it's done on a small group of people so can we draw the best evidence from that no but it's an interesting thing to kind of highlight Uh, Mm. and then in your luteal phase you've got higher progesterone levels um Progesterone is the hormone that we love to hate. It's the one that makes us feel hungrier, a little bit moodier. Um, It can lead to things like breast tenderness, bloating, and water retention. And those are all the kinds of things that people find really uncomfortable. You're also typically not as strong during that phase, but you don't need to, quote unquote, train to your cycle in the fact that you need to, like, do five different types of exercise across your menstrual cycle. If you have a strength training program, you just keep strength training. Mm. But like anything, you just adapt to how you're feeling on the day, which I think, you know, we in particular use an RPE scale because what might feel like an eight out of 10 one day might be a specific weight, but on another day it might be a different weight. And Mm. if that's still your eight out of 10, that is still your eight out of 10. Mm. So you can kind of change as you go. Um, I think also really giving yourself those deload weeks to decompress is really beneficial. Whether you're a a male or a female, that is the time because obviously exercise is is a a form of stress. It's a a positive form of stress, but it's still Mm. stress.
0: Some people forget that. It's actually stressful on the body.
1: Yeah, super stressful. So, you know, you can kind of try and time those deload weeks into your cycle um, to just have like a lighter week week for when you're not feeling as strong. And that can be that maintenance week, right, Mm. in terms of training. And it will also help kind of deload your nervous system. Now, your nervous system is kind of like what tells us whether you're in fight or flight or in rest and digest. And if you already have a really stressful life and then you're kind of like forcing yourself through – workouts when you're not feeling your best when you could be deloading pulling back maintaining you're probably not helping yourself in the overall picture of things Mm. so yeah my main takeaway for any female who's got their natural menstrual cycle number one track it number two don't just track when you're getting your period Track also how you're feeling mm. with your workouts. Think about what else is going on in your life, what other forms of stress you're having, how well you're sleeping, how sore you are, all of those kinds of things. We do a little readiness for exercise questionnaire with all of our clients before they train and they have to hit kind of like a above three out of five before we consider they're like ready for training. If they're at like a two, we go like, oh, today's a rest day. You can kind of reschedule that into a different day mm. because we want to, teach people that you need to be flexible and listen to your body so that you can approach each session feeling your best, which is when you're going to get the, mes- the most out of it.
0: Mm. And on the other side of the menstrual cycle, yeah, when you aren't having a regular menstrual cycle,
2: mm-hmm.
0: do you have any other basic protocols that you can recommend for that? Because... Yeah. You know, obviously it's it's a very complex situation. It's not just like, oh, you just need to train less and it's gonna come back. Yeah. But that's part of it. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, that can help, but it's like if you said that to someone, that's not gonna be super helpful. Like yeah. just train less. Okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, is there any more kind of specific details you could give or maybe examples you've had with people?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I'm gonna talk about missing periods from the context of hypothalamic amenorrhea, which mm-hmm. is a form of secondary amenorrhea. So you've had a period at some point in your life and then it goes missing. Mm -hmm. HA is pretty common, lesser known than another condition called PCOS. And people definitely get diagnosed as having PCOS and misdiagnosed as having PCOS because both of them have that characteristic of Polycystic ovaries, both of them have the characteristic of an irregular or absent menstrual cycle. But if you
0: have two of the three, then you're considered to have PCOS. Yeah, right?
1: which is wild when actually
0: it could be HA. It could be HA. So, how come that isn't very popular knowledge?
1: So, PCOS affects a larger percentage of the population. Mm. Um, and I think what is really quite difficult to understand is with the the criteria, the Rotterdam criteria for PCOS, the reason that the polycystic ovaries are there is driven from a different kind of um, hormone reason compared to HA. Mm. So PCOS is driven because of predominantly insulin resistance, which causes the ovaries to kind of malfunction and it causes androgens to be overproduced um and that can lead to an ovulation and when we're not ovulating then we have lots of underdeveloped follicles in our ovaries mm. which look polycystic in appearance so the not ovulating and not having a period is what is causing the polycystic ovaries obviously in HA you're having the same thing happen. You're not ovulating. You're not having periods. You have these appearance of multiple underdeveloped follicles, which can be seen on an ultrasound. But the reason why that's happening for you is completely different to PCOS. The reason why that's happening for you is mostly due to lifestyle factors, mm. that you're a person, regardless of your body weight, shape, or size, does a really high or intense level of exercise or Maybe intentionally or in unintentionally is under fueling themselves because we see athletes who are like I just didn't I just didn't know that I need yeah. I just, I just, didn't just know wasn't that hungry. They, yeah, because obviously if you're training really hard, that can blunt your appetite. Mm. So can estrogen. Interestingly, um, the presence of estrogen can blunt your appetite. So even when a female has a, a natural menstrual cycle, we have to be like, you might not always be the hungriest at this phase of your cycle, but don't use that as a gauge for eating. So yeah, you might be a person that is under fueling, overtraining, or you're just super stressed. Mm. Obviously, there is a link to some genetic factors, body weight, body fat percentage, all of those things. But it is really hard to get an ha- a HA diagnosis because it's a diagnosis of exclusion. Basically, we have to factor out any really other bad reasons why your period might have been missing. Mm. And because people more know about PCOS, they'll just be like, oh, you have PCOS. Right, and then that's bad because how do we treat PCOS? We eat differently in a modified way, and we promote exercise, which is great if people actually have PCOS. But if they have HA, it's the exact opposite. To what we don't they don't
0: want need. them exercising more.
1: No, 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 <laughs> no. So we're going to talk about HA and mm-hmm. what you would do exercise wise if you didn't have a regular menstrual cycle. So, um you can still have HA and have what we call menstrual disturbances. So your periods might be really, really irregular or really, really light. And so you still might sit in, in that kind of category. Um, the first thing is that we really need to cut out high-intensity exercise.
0: So. And can you give examples of what high-intensity exercise is?
1: Yeah, so high-intensity exercise would be progressive overload strength training so really intense strength training so we would modify we would need to modify your workouts to kind of like hit a maintenance phase and not stay in like a build phase Mm -hmm. um anything that raises your heart rate quite high as you think of like running spin classes um F45. (laughs) You beat me to it. I was going to say it. F45 keeps me in business, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, And physios. uh, uh, No, physios don't. But like any any like very strong challenges that have like a very low calorie association with them. Mm. Like I can tell you hands down my healing HA courses have many an F45 participant in them. Um, So we're very supportive of that community not in a helpful way, but the, you know, we pick up from where F45 left off. Yeah. Um. So anything that's getting your heart rate really, really high or is kind of pushing you towards that like eight out of 10 kind of feeling. Like if I'm in the gym and I was to think about the last rep on my set, how many additional reps could I potentially do? If it's like, oh, I could like maybe do one with good form or, maybe do too, then you're probably training too heavy.
0: So you're talking about reps and reserve there.
1: Reps and reserve, yeah. RPE, reps and reserve, kind of similar things. Yeah,
0: I like to almost look at them as the same too. They kind of of are. Just the intensity gauge.
1: Yeah, a good intensity gauge. Um, So cutting out high intensity exercise, really helpful. And again, there is an evidence-based reason for why we say that because high-intensity exercise does elicit a higher production of a stress hormone called cortisol. And when cortisol is floating around, it has an impact on the part of our brain called the hypothalamus, which is involved in the production of other hormones and is involved in kind of like uh, sensing how much energy is around. And when there is an abundance of that, there is a downregulation of the production of sex hormones and other things. So, when you're in an underfueled, overtrained state, your cortisol levels are already too high. So we don't worry, we don't really want to add more fuel to the fire in that sense. So we know that, you know, high intensity exercise elicits the highest cortisol response. So we really want to tailor things back to a more low to moderate intensity kind of exercise for a short period of time, mm. just while we're working on obviously regaining that menstrual cycle back. The second one is you have to eat more, probably a whole lot more than you've ever eaten before. Hmm. And I feel like females have a really warped perception of what is quote unquote enough food or too much food. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's really sad because like, obviously if, if we're looking at movement and exercise as a way of improving our performance, your body's not going to perform the way that you want it to, if you're not giving it, the food that it needs to function. Mm. And we're talking about people that have often tried to get their body to perform, doing really difficult things, still trying to kind of get those pull ups and hit those PBs on deadlifts and squats in a very underfueled state and get really frustrated that they're kind of spinning their wheels. They're not really getting anywhere. Mm. And you know, your body is not doing it just for fun. <laughs> it's doing it because you're literally not giving it the building blocks for it to perform. So, with that kind of food side of things, we need to put people towards what we say is optimal energy availability. Now, that is kind of like uh, something that sports dietitians usually kind of specialize in because when you're working with athletes, we know that energy availability is uh, and hitting the specific energy availability allows for optimal adaptations to the training load as well as supporting the body's physiological functions so in a numerical point of view it's 45 calories per kilo of fat-free mass that's what we're moving towards and obviously that equation will help you give will help give you like a specific calorie amount for that person giving how much movement they're doing versus like how much they're taking in.
0: Mm. So do you start there and adjust or is there other specific formulas?
1: Yeah. So that's kind of the the basic formula that we're working with. Mm. Obviously we don't tell our clients what that number is. <laughs> we have that, that number in our heads because we kind of want them to get out of um, feeling bad if they kind of go over that maybe calorie ceiling in their heads. Mm. So we kind of look at this rule of threes as a really good starting point. So, three meals, three snacks, roughly every three hours as a minimum starting point, right? Making sure that you're having all different components of food within that meal. So you're not just having like chicken and broccoli because it's not gonna do anything for you, right? So we need to ensure, especially, especially that there is sufficient carbohydrates within each of those meals. And throughout the day, Mm -hmm. we're kind of like wanting to hit that 50 to 60% of your overall energy intake being from predominantly that source. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we're looking at obviously sufficient fats, sufficient protein, and then really breaking away from any kind of food rules, fears, hangups that a person might have had so that they can have a normal, healthy, inclusive relationship with food. Now, Mm. the third missing piece of the puzzle is stress management. So like we said, exercise can be a physical form of stress and also psychologically, we can have stress as well. Hmm. That might be external sources of stress. So things like finances or stress at work or stress within a relationship, but it can also be internal sources of stress or so perfectionism and black and white thinking and those all or nothing mentalities and self-criticism. Mm. That is a form of stress as mm. well. This is often the piece that people don't like to work on. It's just, you know, oh, I don't want to be mindful. I don't want to like... Make sure I have enough sleep. Like, Mm. I don't want to work on the parts of myself that (laughs) I could easily just ignore and, you know, not do anything about. But oftentimes we have people that come to us and they're like, well, I'm eating more and I'm exercising less. And we're like, yeah, but you have a very high stress life and you have to work on focusing on that too. So, those are the kinds of three main factors that we help people through. And Mm. it's very easy, you know, even though all of those three things are simple. Doesn't make them easy. And that is because we're so wrapped up in this culture that says it's bad not to exercise, or it's bad to eat these foods, or it's lazy if you're not doing absolutely everything on your to do list. Mm. And those unrealistic expectations are what keep us stuck in these patterns that are perpetuating maybe that missing menstrual cycle or unhealthy relationship with food or exercise. Mm. So that is where you start and it can take a while.
0: Man, that work, that self-work? Yeah. That's so much harder because you have to look into yourself. I feel like it's a lot easier to to focus on workouts or training less or food because then it's kind of not you. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's just my training. That's not me as a person. And that's just my diet. That's not who I am. But when you have to work on, okay, do am I a perfectionist or yeah. why do I you know have this anxiety or why do i have this stress that's you yeah. and that's why it's so much easier to kind of push that away and just be like just give me diet and nutrition and that's fine and like even sleep is like i i find that as a coach one of the hardest things to try and like i uh, and and i don't feel like i need to do this but i kind of do at the same time like i need to sell people on the idea that you like sleep is essential and yeah. that's more like work you have to do to yourself like putting yourself to bed it's so much easier when you're like you know, if you're lucky enough and blessed enough to have parents that used to put you to bed at night, it's so much easier when someone tells you to go to bed. Yeah. But as an adult, we suck at doing that oh, ourselves. Oh, <laughs> we do. We and can't put ourselves to bed.
1: No. It's so interesting that you say that um, because when I'm talking to people and I'm, I'm often working with with mums or women that are about to become mums or want to become mums, I was like, think about the routine and the amount of time that you spend putting a child to bed. You have a particular time where you're like, look, I'm gonna feed the child like a really lovely meal a few hours before they're gonna go to sleep and then we're gonna do bath time and then Mm. um, I'm gonna rock them to sleep or I'm gonna play music or I'm gonna read the book, book. yep. And we're gonna create a calm environment for this child to drift off to sleep. And then we go and sit on the the couch and like scroll on our phones and then try and go to bed and we're like wide awake and we wonder why. We feel so tired in the morning. Like if we have, if we took just a 1% sliver of the amount of time and care and attention that we would putting a child to bed onto ourselves, imagine how much of a better quality of sleep you might be having. But we just don't see it as a priority hmm. because it, it doesn't give us an instantaneous outcome.
0: It's like for me, it was a waste of time for a long time. For a long, long, long time, I was yeah. just to say, if I could take a pill and not sleep, <laughs> I'd take the pill and just <laughs> and just get things done. But man, like since I transitioned online, that's probably been the biggest blessing that it's been for me. Yeah, is being able to sleep because the fact is, as a personal trainer, to pay your bills and not be homeless, you have to. Yeah, you have to be at the gym. Got
1: to work to live.
0: Yeah, I was there. You know, six leave at nine. Like you know, I was there all the time. But but then when I went online, I. I did it for a myriad of reasons. I wanted to study more and be more in tune with research and cutting edge with my personal training. Because and you
1: don't have time to do that when you're face to face. Oh
0: man, it was so hard. I used to, I used to, because you sit there with this decision: should I cancel two clients, or three clients, or a whole half day of work, or even a full day, and go spend money? Yeah. But learn. So you're like, hmm, should I make a thousand or or lose two thousand? So. I feel like that's why a lot of personal trainers just kind of get stuck in their wheels or people, you know, s- sorry, get stuck spinning their wheels because they see that trade off. They go, oh, it's not really worth it. And I feel f- like I feel for them because I was there too. And yeah. I, But I, thankfully, I used to take that time away because I saw trainers doing the same thing over and over again. Their clients not getting results. They're not getting new leads. They're not implementing new things that could be better for themselves yeah. as an educator but also their clients towards getting results so i went online for that massively but also i was like man i can sleep <laughs> like yeah like, like not that I'll, I'll just wake up at 10 a.m these days and be like oh yeah no, I love but you can get like coaching. seven
1: to eight hours like, life-changing
0: i've never been as consistent as i was like i used to just be so so mayhem when I was a personal trainer, and you're trying to preach <laughs> <laughs> to your clients go
1: to sleep, especially at nine to people and that don't have seven. children yet.
0: Yeah, like I was. Yeah, I was that guy. I was like for many of the uh, of the years that I was coaching, I was like single, no, like yeah, I had nowhere to be at all. Yeah. I had no hobbies because work was my hobby. Yeah, and training was my hobby, which I did too much of. And my friends were personal trainers at the gym too. So I was just, training was easy. Yeah. Like everything was easy, but I didn't sleep and and I probably wasn't the best example of health as well. Like I was doing probably 30,000 steps a day. It was crazy. Yeah. And training twice a day. So I would literally on my break, go and eat two Guzman Gomez burritos.
1: Cause you can't get the energy in any other way. Yeah. I'd go yeah. home and eat
0: a tub of connoisseur. <laughs> and <laughs> like that's <a> the
1: thing. <laughs> like you, uh, you don't realize how much that incidental movement impacts on how much energy you're putting out and I think a lot of people you know we're now stuck in that like wear the fitness watch get the 10,000 steps but I'm like why Mm. like what are you doing that for is that actually something that you specifically you need to be doing Mm. or can you give yourself the grace to literally just remember that sometimes our brains use up a whole bunch of energy. Mm. And if you have a very mentally involved job where you're doing a lot of deeper thinking kind of work, that sometimes it is better off for you to save that energy to do that deeper thinking work than it is to mm. stress about, oh my God, I only got X number of steps per day. Like, hmm. Mm. Bigger fish to fry. Sometimes one of our priorities has to shift to let other priorities take precedence.
0: Yeah, I think that's important to, to acknowledge the importance of not just trying to s- spread yourself too thin and do yeah. everything at once, which is hard because everyone's doing everything. You know? I, and I
1: think to your point, like personal training is such, can be such a rewarding place to be. Mm. Um, but I don't, I, I think it's not set up to be sustainable for life. And I think... No. I think what I find really like interesting is like now there's the presence of like coaches for coaches. right? like makes e- make X figure incomes every <laughs> single month as a personal trainer. And to anyone out there thinking of doing those things, like I want you to think what you want long-term because a lot of these programs are like, just do more of this on social media and like sell your soul and you know, like, Like just think of like quick ways to make money and then you'll like hit your income goals. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. How is that actually helping people be better at their craft? Mm. How is that actually helping people understand their numbers or what they're building towards or Mm. building better boundaries? Like all things that you need as, you know, a fitness or a health professional so my my biggest thing is just be aware that you probably want a career for the rest of your life, mm. whether that is in personal training or another health profession, If and work is an endless task. That's the second part. Mm. You are not an endless resource. You have to figure out what your start and end point is to your day and to your week. And as hard as boundaries are, sticking to those is actually what is going to help you be more successful mm. is actually what's going to help you sit down and do the professional development and be curious about whether the decision that you're about to make to add a new service or a different offering is really going to serve you. Mm.
0: Yeah, you touched on it well. Um, I think a lot of – and this is just in the wellness space. Like you talked on people signing up to courses and trying to grow their business and make six figures in a month or in a year or whatever they want to do. They don't focus on the craftsmanship of actually being – an expert, I hate that word now because of what social media's done to it. But yeah. Like that's why I originally left face-to-face personal training, because I was an expert in the gym, like a personal trainer, which is what people see as an expert when often I think that's not the right word to explain us. But now, and I've talked about this probably on the last two or three podcasts. I have this golden rule that I always have to be studying. Yeah. Like I always have to be reading something. Um, one, and I actually try and make it a, a two-part rule. One that's like self-healthy and motivation because that kind of helps light my fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then one that's actually practical that I can learn and become a better coach. So, you know, I finished a program design course probably about eight weeks ago now. Now every morning I've been reading like a research review that I sign up for and I haven't read it for ages because I was doing other things. So now I'm reading that. Yeah. And not like, I don't think many coaches in the health space spend time to do that it's more so how do i push another reel out how do i make another youtube video that that goes big or how do i you know set up my business so it does this and that but the actually quality or excellence of their service isn't at the level that it should be or could be
1: yeah and i think that's you know comes down to what you value which is you know continuous professional growth and improvement Mm. which I think it's not glorified as much like, you know, sitting down and highlighting a research paper, much less sexy than standing in front of a camera and creating a reel. Mm. I'm not diminishing the fact that yes, showing up and having a presence can be really important Mm. in the online space.
0: 100%.
1: But I think sometimes I think about like, like the podcast that I create and sometimes how much research I have to do to create like a really solid piece of content. And for me, I love it because I get to learn something and I get Mm. to share it. But it takes 10 times as long as creating a 30-second reel. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, like, people see that as value versus what is actually value, which is, you know, when you learn something, when you get to teach someone else that knowledge, when you, you know, have your own light bulb moments. And I think as coaches, one of the most fulfilling things is like, obviously we get to do that with ourselves, but we also kind of pass that on and we get to see those light bulb moments in our clients Mm. who get to learn from, from what we've learned. And that is such a special place to be.
0: Yeah. And sometimes I get carried away. I'm not sure if you get this too, but you get, I get kind of, I'm so far ahead in terms of what I'm learning and the things that, that I forget how, how simple the things that people actually need to grasp are. So like, for example, the prop, probably the most common compliment I get of my coaching with people getting successful results is that their mindset f- for food has changed. Like the, the literal idea of like flexible dieting blows their mind. And I'm like, <laughs> where have you been? Yeah, Like, y- yeah, that whole dichotomous thinking, black, white, yeah, you know, c- kind of ditching that. Yeah, that everything can fit they literally like that's probably the biggest compliment and that's probably one of the most simple things but i think as a coach we kind of have to acknowledge that like that's awesome and if that's the only thing that, that they learn from us, that's amazing. But there's so much more as well. There's so many other things that we can learn.
1: Yeah, yeah, so mm. true. And I think, you know, oftentimes the clients that I work with, we are on long journeys together, especially those people that are in recovery from eating disorders and disordered eating. Mm. You know, sometimes they're clients for anywhere between like six months to two years. Um, and the amount that they get to learn, along the way is so so deep and so knowledgeable for themselves. And it is great, but sometimes, yeah, I do have to pull myself back and, and usually ask the question, like, would you like to know more about this?
0: <laughs> Instead <laughs> of being like...
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm much better with my communication skills now, obviously, kind of having, um, I guess, more professional development in that area of counselling yeah. and coaching and all of that kind of stuff. But... Mm you know being a, a better listener and kind of going like would you like to know this versus like you need to know this sometimes it, there are things that people need to know but yeah. you know yeah
0: so we're going to have to wrap this up there's many things we can talk about maybe there'll be a part 2 of our conversation <laughs> maybe um, but i have uh final three questions that i like to ask people yep because as you know i i i'm obsessed with self development i you know in whatever way that is obviously physically I really enjoy training and I find that the ripple effect of training is probably the most beneficial thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I like the idea of obviously progressive overload within training to get stronger, become more resilient all that stuff. But I think in life it's kind of made me a bit more resilient too and all that kind of stuff is poured out. So I really do like the idea of how we can continue to grow and get better. So I just have three questions. The first one is what is something you do every day that helps you become a better person?
1: Probably how I start my morning. So every day I wake up, my cute little dog Henry is like, (laughs) let's go. So always make sure that I take time, have breakfast, and then we always go for a walk. And having that time just to be with myself, be with him, walk by the ocean, and then go and get a coffee. And every every morning I have this little ritual I do of... Morning coffee
0: morning thoughts. Morning coffee thoughts. I've been watching them.
1: Yeah. It's just little three things that I've been thinking about or pondering that are a reflection of how I can be better in my own life and maybe things that other people can use in their lives, their lives as well. Um, but having that slow start to the morning is really important to me. Um, and also... Another daily thing that I do is just making sure that there's like an element of fun and joy because I do work really, really hard. <laughs> I think um, having time to kind of switch off and realizing that, you know, being better is sometimes just letting myself be. Mm. So that would be kind of, yeah, my answer to
0: that one. That's definitely something that I've been trying to lean into more is having a bit more emptiness.
1: Yeah, white but space.
0: Yeah, I used to feel really guilty that I wasn't listening to something or p- thinking about something and writing something down, ideas for an email, ideas for a piece of content, or, you know, uh, a person that I, you know, need to tell something to. Because, yeah, I would feel lazy. Yeah. There's this thing that I was just like, I have to do things do, 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 do. Yeah. But and you're
1: a human being. Yeah. Not a human doing.
0: Yeah. I like that. I yeah. like that. Um, And, yeah, I I felt that's really helped me actually become a bit more original. It does, yeah. Because I was – well, we kind of are at the same time like uh, an accumulation of thoughts and books and podcasts we listen to and stuff. But then if you don't have anything to add to that that's unique to you, it's just (laughs) kind of like plagiarism, I guess. Like you're just – Saying other people's stuff, so it's nice to kind of have your own twist. And I feel like I definitely lacked that. And to go even further, when you were talking about your central nervous system being fried, yeah, like when I, like when my lower back was whispering to me saying you need to rest, <laughs> um, I, w- I also felt like that was your
1: whole body telling
0: you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't really give anything. I had no original ideas. I was just uh, I'd write programs which didn't really take much thought because exercises and you know once you understand the structure of programming it's not very creative it it kind of is but it's also quite you know this is just what needs to be done yeah Um, but i i definitely lacked a bit of character and like originality Mm. because i was so exhausted
1: yeah you need that white space in order to get there
0: it's so good question number two what is a quote that you like, apart from where a human being, not a human doing, uh, what is a quote that's made you a better person that really stands out to you?
1: Um, I'm going to butcher this. <laughs> and it's a quote by Maya Angelou. And it probably isn't this exact wording, but it's We delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but we rarely kind of accept the changes that it must go through to get there. Again, I probably butchered that, but it is a Maya Angelou quote. So it's kind of like we always delight in how beautiful things are at the end, but we rarely see the process of how much change you know that little caterpillar has to go through in order to become this beautiful butterfly.
0: Mm. Yeah, I feel like that's so relevant to to what you do as work, but so relevant also to me, like yeah, yeah, and even social media again I don't want to keep talking about it but like yeah. I feel like it's all butterflies and there's no talk of the caterpillar going through the process
1: and you know I mean I have a, a tattoo on my right arm that's like a single rose which was a quote that I used to tell myself when I was going through recovery which kind of got me through which is similar to the butterfly quote but it is I am a garden of a single rose blossoming in infinite ways and it kind of just let me realize that that whole process was me growing in a multitude of different ways because all I was really focused on at that point was how uncomfortable the weight gain was. But I was like, but you're gaining so much else back at Mm. the same time. So I kind of answered with two quotes,
0: sorry. No, that's good. (laughs) That's good. Um, Last question, a book that has made you better. I love love reading. I read all the time.
1: Uh, A book that has made me better.
0: Or a couple or a few if you... Um, Can't decide.
1: I love Atomic Habits. That's been one of the ones that's probably changed a whole lot of the things that I do for the better, to be honest.
0: And what's some practical things you took out of that? Because I read that during COVID. Yeah. And I took a lot from it too. Probably one of the best reads I did during the pandemic.
1: Yeah. I I love some of the really practical things that he talks about, like habit stacking. So if you want to do something new, you just stick it on to something that you're already doing. Um, and then uh, I really like the, the process versus the outcome goals, which is what he talks about a lot. And he talks about a, um, an ice cube melting. You know, if we judge the ice cube based on it, only changing one degree in the room and not melting, we'll see ourselves as a failure. But if we look at what happens over time, we can kind of go, well, just that one degree change or that, you know, one little principle that we've implemented has such a, a big effect over time. Those are the two biggest things. Um, so, yeah, that's probably one of my my best, like, self-development books that I regularly recommend. I'm also a big Brene Brown fan. I don't know her. Um, Brene Brown, yeah, I mean, you should know her. So, she wrote a book recently called Atlas of the Heart, which is really all about emotions. Oh, my
0: wife's reading that.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: So she's in steal th- it. She's she's <laughs> in the house, but I am just not aware of it. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's really good because I, I often find people's uh, emotional vocabulary is quite limited. We talk a lot about our thoughts and changing our thoughts, but actually our emotions are so incredibly inherently important to things that we need. And um, understanding where they come from and, and what purpose they serve and you know, why that might be happening in your life, it it, it is is such a a helpful thing, especially if you find uncomfortable emotions difficult to sit with. Mm. Just kind of being more curious about them can be a good place to start.
0: Mm. And how can people find you? Where do you want to direct people? I'm
1: most active on Instagram. You can find me at SarahLizKing. My website is the same, SarahLizKing.com. Or I do have a podcast mostly related to eating disorder recovery and HA recovery, which is called Holistic Health
0: Radio that you can check out. Mm. awesome well yeah that's we'll wrap it there thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge like this is stuff that obviously i don't specialize in but it's super important and i think it's something that in my world definitely isn't talked about enough maybe in your world um it's talked about more because obviously you specialize in and stuff but i feel like it's like even some of my female clients i have to coach them for a while yeah. for them to actually open up with this stuff. And I'm not saying that they need to tell me their whole life story, but it's a pretty important part. Like if you're losing your cycle or if you're, you know, if setting calories and macros isn't good for you, then let me know because there's other ways to go about it. 100%. Um, you know, we, we're not always calorie and macro target hitters. You know, it's sometimes it's just Yeah, and that's one why it's step. coaching, right? You get yeah. to
1: shift and choose and personalize things based mm. on your client's needs and you know that's the way it should be
0: yeah well yeah i really appreciate your knowledge and i love having people on that really commit themselves to you know excellence and providing a great service and not just selling a pdf and see you later (laughs) you know like really helping people so yeah yeah, it's been an honor to have you on it's
1: been a pleasure thanks for having me on
0: awesome thanks (laughs)